Today's podcast is on the subject of the Internet of Things and how it could impact the lighting industry. The Internet of Things, or IoT as it is commonly referred to, is a scenario in which objects have the ability to transfer data over a network without requiring human-to-human or human-to-computer interaction. It can be anything from a household appliance to a heart rate monitor. The Internet of Things has evolved from the convergence of wireless technologies and the Internet, which will have a significant impact on anyone working within the electrical industry. For more information on the Internet of Things, please take a look at the Internet of Things section on our website at www.voltimum.co.uk. Welcome to Voltimum's first ever podcast. We're joined today by Voltimum's expert panel in lighting, which includes John Gorse, the technical solutions manager for Philips, Chris Davey, the technical service engineer for Osram, Alistair Ramsey, the sustainable development manager from Legrand, Nigel Box, Head of Technical at Kingfisher Lighting. Kevin Stubbs, the UK Technical Manager for Zumterbell Group, which includes the lighting brand Thorn. And Ray Maloney, the publisher of Lux Magazine. First of all, welcome everyone, and I'd like to ask you this. Voltimum has recently launched an Internet of Things platform on our website, and clearly this is an area that will have a huge impact upon our industry. In your opinion, what does the Internet of Things mean to you? And John, I think I'll start with you. Well, it's the future today, basically. It's, it's almost you know, whatever you want it to be. We've been having a pre-discussion, and you know, the question of who's an expert and who isn't an expert in this has come up, and I think that's a pertinent place to start as well. I mean, what do you have to be expert in? Knowledge of how it helps you, or knowledge of how you put it together. For lighting, it has a very broad church because uh, the Internet of Things for lighting alone can mean control of lighting. It can mean having a greater uh, you know, understanding and management of your estate, just purely from the lighting and the energy perspective and also from the health and well-being. Once you start looking at the installed estate of lighting, uh, you look at that as a platform and you've suddenly got yourself a ready-made data uh, interaction uh, network. So that can be whether it's outdoors or indoors for indoor positioning for changing your lighting at home, changing by remote control when you're away from your home, or running the entire estate of, of a city. And you start to realise that you can integrate it with other services and features of, of the national estate. Uh, you can start looking at things like uh, power supply, uh, looking at how the national grid is responding. You know, we're all looking at a, a period of time where it's getting harder and harder to guarantee our energy security. Cities can start to look at the local national grid, the supply, and, and moderate the amount of power they're using just for their lighting and for other services once you have everything integrated into one unified central management system. You don't necessarily have to understand how that works, you just have to be able to operate it and draw the benefits from it. So the most important thing is about collaboration, really. The Internet of Things is no longer saying, I'm a lighting expert, I'm a heating expert, I'm a power expert. It's about bringing people together and making sure that they all understand the benefits that can be derived from having a complete internet of things, be it in private or public domain. But lighting can be the absolute platform for it. I think that's what's so exciting about lighting uh, and the internet of things. Thank you, John. Chris? I think it is an exciting time uh, to be in lighting. I mean, this is a massive challenge for lighting companies or say uh, lamp companies like Osram for example because we're experts in lamp technology but when uh, we're looking at this sort of stuff 
we need to be experts in technology. So instead of getting questions about lamps, we're getting questions about computing, if you like. Um, so it's, it's uh, a big challenge, but it, it's uh, exciting as well. It's going to be big for consumers, I think. It's good for large companies having standardisation rather than having competing systems uh, like the classic VHS or uh, Betamax. If um, everything is connected together, in theory, that is very good for large companies. But I think it's important that complex things are easy to use. I think that is key. So companies like Apple, for example, are good at making very difficult things really easy to use. And I think that's really important for consumers because if they're you know, spending a lot of time setting up their router, getting their light bulbs to speak to their router and so on, they're going to give up if it's too complicated. If it doesn't work straight out of the box, I think that's a, a key point. And so far, Lightning's been pretty good at that, hasn't it? As coming up with some good connected products that are simple to use. Kevin, what are, what's your take? Uh, well, there's a lot of things we could talk about on for the Internet of Things. There's huge opportunity of ways forward. We can start off really with what people can do and want to do now, and particularly in the domestic market, you see that taking off. People can tune their lighting. People can play around with their like their heating and and uh, other domestic products. The question is, there there is a line of what do we need to be able to do? Um, so in my mind, that's one thing is what does the applications want? In some cases, it's better to keep things simple. In other cases, the technology is going to get cheaper and easier to use. So it's making the most out of it and choosing where we want to go with it is the important thing. Uh, one thing that is obvious is there's loads of spaces indoors and outdoors that does have lighting. So when you consider uh, Li-Fi being a possible way of communication in the future as well, then there is a, you know, a huge possibility for connectability uh, and people to be able to share information. One of my worries is that um, we're giving talks at the moment about human-centric lighting and human-centric lighting is providing the best lighting for people, whereas the Internet of Things allows people to become very self-centred. So if people become too self-centred, is the lighting that they provide themselves, for instance, going to be good for them? Or are they going to send themselves off to a different time and place? So that's a big issue as well. The other concern I have is recent things in the press has been discussion about uh, how much power the Internet uses and how much power it's forecast to use because we might find we're drawing a huge amount of energy that we otherwise might be saving just to stand still at night time when everything else is switched off by these systems. How much is it sending information about us all doing stuff in the background? At the moment it's considered to be isn't 3% of the, of the load in the UK. So could that be much, much more in the future just to keep us ticking over, just to keep our lights switched off because we'd be wasting more energy? Interesting, uh, interesting take. Alistair, what, what about...? Uh... Very much from a controls point of view. Um, the Internet of Things, as uh, has been mentioned before, what is it? To me, it's an extension of the Internet. So if we look at the history of the Internet over time and how it's changed the use, like now you wouldn't think twice about ordering something 30 seconds after you think you need it, and you get that confirmed within 35 seconds. Those sort of things will become more and more apparent. And it's a move from what I would say would be a data type stream to a control type stream. So it's about being able to control machine to machine remotely. And that means you can start transferring where the control might be. 
but as has been mentioned also, where that control is done, it's about is it about an individual, is it about a group of people, or is it big brother looking over you sort of thing? And there are some big issues that need to be looked at in terms of data having a, uh, having a few glitches in transmission may not be an issue. But if you start controlling sophisticated machines that are interacting together and there's a latency there uh, of some delay and the messages start getting confused. So it's an evolving area. My question isn't, is it going to happen? When will these machines talk, talk to each other? Who will be doing what? It's how long it will take. And I think we as manufacturers and we as the industry have to realise that's probably going to be a lot quicker than some of us think. What about you, Nigel? I, I think it throws up a whole load of interesting opportunities in terms of uh, integrated sensing, integrated control improvements for emergency services, improvements for uh, the public when we're out and about travelling in our cars. And the interaction that's possible there is absolutely enormous. What's going to be interesting is to see how the opportunities come about, how the uh, economies of scale break, um, because it's a question of who's going to invest in some of the infrastructure. At the moment, in some of our cities, we've already got central management systems, but they're owned by the local authorities, or, or at least the pay-for-use basis. They see it as possibly a way of exploiting that infrastructure that they have to bolt on all the sensors that can go into all the other devices. However, there are also issues uh, with some of the telecoms providers, particularly um, interested at coming into the lower end of their networks within uh, a city environment and trying to exploit that further. Um, and therefore, you start to ask, well, who gains the benefit of it? You know, from a public environment point of view, is it a revenue stream or are they actually paying a service provider externally? And it's who brings that all together. And you know, th there's a role for central government here in terms of facilitating for common standards uh, to actually gain the best out of this rather than a lot of people doing their own thing, which in some respects in the outdoor world has been happening up to now. So it's a fantastic opportunity and we can build a lot of things into our products. It's an opportunity for the, for the installers, commissioners, but they need to have a really good technical understanding of the interactions. And this is the point that was made earlier on about keeping it simple. If it's IP-based networking that just works when you plug it in, that's brilliant. It's also a question of the security that goes with it because when you're getting into a whole series of things which are actually safety critical, we have to be looking very carefully at the actual um, attack profiles that can be mounted and how that can be defended against. And as you mentioned already about latency issues, you know, if we're doing things that are interacting with moving vehicles, it's absolutely key that there are no delays there. So that the whole issue with 4G, 5G, etc., are really, really key. I was just thinking that the um, the safety, as you mentioned, is, is one issue. But the safety of the Internet of Things, people being able to access and tune things to their preference, is fine in, in a domestic environment. You take it say, to an office environment or a public area, might they be able to affect the safety uh, and risk of other people as well with that system? So that also needs to be considered or borne in mind. And not to forget that uh, you have to allow for some form of failure in that risk analysis. So what happens if something goes down or there's a cut in the line or <coughs> something. So it, it's, it's not something that's automatic. There's a lot of risk analysis that needs to be done. But to me, it will happen. So yes. we have to sort it out. It, 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 it's natural. Yeah. yeah. Ray, 
Well, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think, I, I think when we all, everybody around this table joined the lighting industry or came into the lighting business, it was an analogue technology. Mm -hmm. it, and due to LEDs and the invention of the blue LED, it's become a digital technology. And we've got all this stuff, we've got all these digital lights all over the place, above everybody's head. And the lighting industry sees that as a major opportunity. The, re the reason why, they, why does it, not a desperation, but there's a extreme keenness to see this. We, you know, we need a new conversation to have with people instead of just, you know, LEDs saving energy. We've got to move the conversation on. Also, you're going to price erosion with LED panels. There's, there isn't. There's. We need differentiation. We need margin, and a way that is to sell extra services. And the thing is, we don't really know what those services are yet. We're not even sure what to call this new world. Is it smart lighting? Is it connected lighting? Is it intelligent lighting? Right. We don't really know, and those words don't really mean anything. Nobody's agreed what those what those what what they mean. But it, I think this will happen. But I I'm not sure the lighting industry is going to come up with those applications. I don't know whether we we have that that knowledge and that talent. What we're seeing though is that we're seeing lighting big lighting companies like Acuity. You know they're hiring firmware engineers are hiring software engineers they're trying to get into this space but we don't have a let's be honest we don't have a wealth of talent in the in this area so we could end up coming up with the infrastructure saying we need somebody else to come up with what is, what's going to be a clever app what do you know here's a question that, that few people ask is what do customers want what will people pay for what will retailers pay for what will people who run big, big estates and hospitals and airports what will they pay for Security is a, is an interesting one that's coming up out of nowhere. You know, people will pay for embedding, bringing you know security cameras and bringing other security devices into into lighting. That's an early app. Retailers, we got Target in America are going there. They've got light communication. They're not quite sure. They're talking about gamifying their stores. They're talking about you know sending people coupons on their phones. You know, what will people actually use and what will actually be those apps? That that's. That's what, you know, location, we're talking about location tracking. Well, it's very easy to location track with lights, very easy. But, you know, where would you use that? Would be in a supermarket and you're trying to find the tomato ketchup or, you know, you're trying to find your car in a car park. What is it? So it's a question of coming up with those killer apps. I'm not sure, the lighting industry, I don't think will come up with those apps. We, you know, I think somebody will and it will happen. I mean, a lot of the big retailers want to get into this space, they, but nobody's quite sure. But it, it will happen. But it's, it throws up all sorts of questions. Like all, we can suck loads of data out of lights. We can put loads of sensors in and suck loads. Of, what do we do with that data? Who will pay for that data? You know, how can you analyze that? How can you do stuff with that? Do we have the skills to deal with that data? No, we don't. But companies like Cisco, they're really interested in the lighting industry. I mean, really interested in the lighting industry. And they want to say, well, what can we do with this stuff? And your question was about the Internet of Things. I don't think it's just the, the Internet of Things is just one protocol. That's just the IP. You know, but I think you're going to see controls in lighting doing all sorts of things but it may be Zigbee it may be Bluetooth it may be one of a load of protocols and we will settle down on our protocol eventually but we're, we're certainly not there yet I think I'll just add one very important thing is the lighting industry will not be able to stand alone the lighting will be linked in someone mentioned earlier about lighting changing for health that will be part of a prescription from the doctor you know the so these, th we cannot, no longer are we going to have silos of different technologies. The Internet of Things, if there is something, is the connection together. And on the case of protocols, there will not be one protocol for many, many years. There will be a sorting out, beta max versus, but we have to live within that, those parameters. 
And if one protocol or one methodology is good for one part of the uh, whole Internet of Things, probably wrong to change it now until we resolve it all. So I think the big change Internet of Things will do is actually lighting has to be part of a bigger building stroke city stroke house uh, activity. And that is the big, big game changer. I think our duty in, in lighting is going to be to make sure that people are aware of, of what, the good, what the good things are. And if you take a lighting control as an example, then lighting controls that are companies that are successful and products that are su successful are ones that easily can be used and that automatically do what we know people want and, uh, and need to be able to do. Mm. Uh, the ones that are overcomplicated and people can go in and change the, all the settings themselves, quite honestly, leads to sick building syndrome and people not understanding it then or in the future. So us having something that's robust and a standard recommendation might help with that the safety, etc., and then other people being able to add to that with apps and making the best of it, that will fill the, fill the picture. I think we've already led the way, you know, as Ray was saying, we, we, we've been one of the last industries to digitise, and we've already shown people what lighting can do in itself. So we have domestic um, light bulbs, which you can control for yourself. Uh, we've already shown over many years possibilities for individual control in an office environment for example it's not always been that desirable the platform has not, not always been that flexible in terms of the lighting technology itself plus the fact that you do if you don't have it integrated back to a central point run the risk of having things like um, if it doesn't go as far as sick building syndrome certainly in an environment which doesn't please everybody all the time now you can actually have an override on, on that because someone or something can be monitoring what people are doing and the activities that people are, are you know, engaging with in terms of the lighting and the settings of the building that they're, up and they're controlling themselves. And I think it's now, as uh, we've reached a point very, very quickly whereby we as an industry have provided in indoors and outdoors a platform of both product and to a certain extent IP knowledge for other people to then start to exactly do that and make our industry part of the Internet of Things. So we won't be doing this on our own, there is, and, but I don't think we necessarily need to get too hung up about where the line begins and ends for lighting, being in control of its own destiny in terms of uh, digitization and, and being part of the Internet of Things, because it's just already naturally happening that we're being integrated into that wider scope of digital controllability, as is the whole of society in, in almost everything you look at. It's just good for us as an industry that we've come into it, uh, you know, not too late, if you like, and uh, that we are part of that revolution going forward. Yeah, yeah, but the person, the, the people who who bring that together may not be the lighting industry. No, absolutely, I mean, that's, that's my point. Know. We've given it to a certain, protected to a certain point, yeah. and we've brought it to a point where I think already, you know, the offering that we have as an industry is already being taken by those who've got that wider, more holistic knowledge of how everything connects together, and they're already integrating our products in there. We can support that and give ideas, but ultimately it's how much people want to use uh, lighting and the, and the interactivity and the, the experiential side of, of, of lighting, you know, because in a supermarket, for example, it could be anything from something as relatively mundane as just, you know, looking at occupancy levels to, to figure out how high your lighting should be, when you can best do shelf stacking, looking at where your own employees are in the store, moving them around to the most effective places, being a little bit more interactive that way, but it's still relatively low-level stuff, 
right up to the more sophisticated, such as offering literally, you know, point of sale coupons as someone passes by, a range of jams or baked beans. And it is very well known that point of sale offers are hugely successful. That's why supermarkets are so keen on them. And you could to have then an interactive uh, offer, so you can actually be changing oh. offers through the day. I mean, it's, it's a pricing manager's dream almost to be able to have this type of thing. Whether or not you're using Li-Fi, whether you're actually using the lighting to enhance the offers, changing the lighting in that particular part of the store, you start to suddenly start to become very sophisticated, or you're just using the actual platform, the network of lighting that's in there to embed other sensors and controls. That's again up to it's, in, it's it's up to the user, you know. There'll be people who've bought smart TVs and never do anything other than watch BBC One on ITV still, like they always did. There are other people, of course, who who will uh, buy a smart TV and they use absolutely everything, you know, about it. So it's it's about the value you perceive of it and what you want to do with it. And lighting is no different in, in the digital world going forward. I think it also throws up some interesting um, service opportunities as well for lighting providers. Um, in terms of remote support and uh, paying for light rather than actually paying for light fittings so that there is a way of actually deriving value for managing by exception because we're all talking about these vast streams of data but really if you're an estate manager all you're really interested in is knowing when something's going outside its normal parameters and when it's time to, to intervene. So there are a lot of opportunities there and that can either be run by the client operations from, from their central head offices or it can be provided as a service from some of the lighting companies as well. I'd just add to that is we aren't changing, this isn't changing in a vacuum. So for instance, the service paying for light, it has to bear in mind that also buildings will have their onboard some form of uh, uh, self-generation of industry, be it like um, batteries or directly off their PV. The result is any service must take that into account, and that's a two-way flow. So it requires a lot of understanding of how a building works, not just the lighting, but the whole building itself. So it, it comes back to the fact that the, we are beginning to connect all these things together, and that's going to be the key design responsibility of someone, and there is certainly going to be developing new skills that don't probably exist today. Yeah. It's making people thinking about lighting as well. So again, you know, it's coming back to this idea of it is what you want to make of it. Well, I think yeah. people naturally, with service offers, with the ability to control, with all the different aspects of lighting that people have never thought about before, in terms of maintenance, service, health and well-being, you know, creating a different environment, everything that, that potentially, much of which was available to people before, but in a much more clunky and a much less easily defined and easily controlled package, is altogether now available potentially just off simply a smartphone app. Yeah. And that's the difference. And so what it does now is it makes people think about lighting in a way they've never thought about it before. And that's been happening since the advent of general lighting with, with white LED. Yeah. People thought about lighting now in ways we've never ever thought about. So go back to the early days of when we all joined the industry. We get questions about lighting now that we would have never had in the past about life performance and so on and what else you can do with with lighting and it's 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 just a very exciting new world. I think the biggest challenge with all this new technology is don't, don't forget who, first of all, designs it, puts it into the design, and we've got to get the information across and the skills to them, and secondly, we've got to get to the people installing. And that's going to be the uh, key part, is the education and, uh, and uh, providing information, because otherwise we could develop the best solutions in the world. If they're wrongly installed or not installed, we'll end up worse off than we are today 
just like we'll be using any more energy because we haven't actually worked out what uh, the savings generally are. Well, obviously, there's, we could we could talk uh, for a very long time about this topic, but we'll we'll bring this uh, we'll bring this particular podcast to a close. But I'm sure we'll uh, we'll come back to this uh, topic again. Uh, that leaves uh, just leaves me really to say thank you to all our guests, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you've got any questions for any of our lighting experts, please visit our website, voltman.co.uk. Go to the Ask the Experts section and ask away. And we might be answering some questions in some later podcasts. So goodbye. <laughs>